here. Um, well, you'll know if I. Will you know if I'm too far? Yeah. What? Where's a good distance? Like that. Okay. Yep. I'll tell you to. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll Got give it. you a little hand motion. How about that? Sweet. Are you ready for this? I think this is going to be my most listened to episode ever. Why is that? You're a little famous. Oh. Did you know that? Try not to think about it. <laughs> but I know it's a gift, so I don't get too shook about it. <laughs> I don't get too shook. You're listening to Lead Him to Life, where it's our prerogative to explore what it means to be authentically human and fully alive. We have far more questions than answers, but believe that extraordinary answers can be found in the ordinariness of a journey. I'm your host, Emily Leadham. Hello, friends, and welcome to this episode of Lead Him to Life. I've been waiting for this episode for a while. When I first launched, I knew I was excited to have a conversation with Father Joe Vogel. Father Joe, welcome to Lead Him to Life. It's good to be here. It was a beautiful drive up to this afternoon, and um, looking forward to it, too. And I, as I would say, it's always nice when I trust the person on the other side asking their questions. So <laughs> Which uh, is God has a lot more room to work that way in my world. Which is amazing that you trust me. I was just thinking, you and I have been meeting about once a month for five years. Really? Six, six years. Wow. Yeah. And normally I get to kind of pour my heart out to you, and now the roles are reversed. How about that? How about that? But over my years and years of meeting with you, uh, you just have such insight. Uh, I just love you. I just love you to the moon and back, and you've just been such a gift in my life. So I'm excited to to pick your brain and have you share uh, your wisdom with our people. So first of all, tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, maybe a little bit of your story even. I grew up on a farm um, right in the middle of Aberdeen here in the Watertown, west of Watertown Hour. Farm family, one of eight kids. Um, my brother took over the farm from dad, and then my brother Scott retired, and now his son-in-law and wife are on the farm. But my brother lives still on the home place um, one of eight kids, as I said, I have 26 nieces and nephews. I have, I think it's 38 or 39 great nieces and nephews. My mom and dad are both from big families, so I'm one of 75 first cousins. Seriously? Seriously. Oh, yes. my gosh. So family's everything. And yeah. I know once in a while I kind of get cautioned by people preaching or talk, what. You always talk about family. Do you know that a lot of people don't have that? Yeah, I'm well aware of that, but I don't think I should limit my joy because you might not. And and I've just become more and more to learn as we move around more and more. Our family, if we're distanced for our own or abuse or whatever, that should be in our church. Your family should be in your church. Sure, especially if we're moving a lot. And I remember Pope John Paul said years ago, nobody's going to survive being a Christian or a Catholic. This is 25 years ago unless they're in some sort of small face-sharing group. It's the devil's really easy pick off people alone. And if we're not grouping somewhere, telling our saying, you know, and the question is that somebody said, who knows if you had a bad day? If the answer is nobody, you're probably in trouble. Hmm. You're probably in trouble. Well, who knows if you had a great day? Nobody. Well, that's just not of God. He always sent them out two by two. You need people. Yep. People. You need people. Okay, so you come from this awesome holy family. Were you always the saintly, glowing man that is sitting before um, me today? Um, <clears throat> yes. No. 
I went high school in Doland, graduated in um, 69 from high school, um, went to college. You know, what are you going to be when you get big? And I thought a farmer. I thought, oh, man, that's a lot of work. And I'm not mechanical, those kind of things. And I thought, I like math and science. I went to Brookings, um, majored engineering, uh, made made good grades, but I'm not made for a desk. And so I switched to sociology, study of people, groups of people. It was a good fit. And when I went to college, every guy had to be in ROTC for two years. It was, a, it was uh, end of Vietnam or, well, kind of middle end of Vietnam. And um, so I just, I decided I was going to join the military, not terribly patriotic, but I wanted to travel, see the world. And as I say, too broke and too scared to hitchhike. And, and I, <laughs> I served in Montana, Thailand, England, Sacramento, California, Riverside, San Bernardino, California, and then Texas. So I saw a lot of the world, and I, um, I think somewhere I needed to prove I could live anywhere because I can remember about the fourth move. I, it was in my head that I could go home and say, I'm done. I don't have to leave again. But I think it took that long to prove I could do it because, you know, I'm the youngest of three brothers and the youngest of a bunch of cousins and guys, and I was always kind of like, they're bigger than me, and I had to prove this sort of thing. And so so then I was um, I pretty good in college. I just— I didn't have great, great, great friends in high school, but college was home. Just the gang and the study group and just, you know, not a lot of beer drink, but fun parties. And and it was just, I just, it became my world, not selfishly, but it, and it was my group. And um, so it was just a great sort of thing. Dated some, not a lot. And, um, but I just assumed like most people, as a Catholic boy, I would be married with a bunch of kids and, um, so I made this promise, I'm only going to marry somebody Catholic and somebody not married before, and whom I eventually engaged to was a gal not Catholic and married before. So we were engaged. Well, you ended up engaged to a gal that wasn't Catholic. And not, yeah. And had been married, had, right. had been married We were before. engaged, we had a date set, those kinds of things. Didn't work for a lot of reasons, and um, which is good. Do I know this? I don't wow. know. This is good. Yeah. I, I, she was, I don't know, I was 30, I was 26, and... I think just both too stubborn, but it was just nice to know. So this was when you were in the military. Yeah. Okay. It's nice to know what it's like to really be in love and planning a future and, you know, sweet. And it was, you know, and then, but I had a year in Thailand that um, just dumb and dumber and all the stuff I said I wouldn't do. And, you know, I lived with a gal for a while and I don't know what it was, but I had to, all the guys said that stuff's really cool, you know. And um, I was just talking to somebody today. I never have done drugs. At the right age, 69, I'd be one of the few of my generation, but kind of afraid to be thrown out of the military. Beer drinking, farting around, stuff like that. But um, that, um, but just in relationships I shouldn't have been, and I just was beyond my And I was still kind of going to church, and I was still kind of friends with the priest, and he knew what I was doing. And it, um, I don't know how you explain it, but brain dead wouldn't be yet, but looking for something union of a sort and it and then went to england for a year two years i should say and kind of dated again there and but um after you broke off your engagement uh no that was that kind of i was kind of still dating but okay. this was a, across the ocean for goodness sake those are hard to do but just wasn't proud of myself and woke up one morning in england now i wasn't thinking if i died i think i'd probably go to hell that's a good thing and a bad thing for somebody probably 25 years old, you know, one of those things I knew better. And, and, um, then I thought, 
yeah, but I'm not quite ready to quit. <laughs> Which is just, you know. Then Sacramento, California for graduate school in the Air Force and engaged and then more serious. But it just didn't work and for lots of reasons. But it broke off well, not as an ugly. And then yeah. I was in Southern California and I wasn't going to church for years. Now I'm joining the church in Southern California. And the reason I joined that parish, this is for everybody to, to look for, the people at the base chapel at March Air Force Base had the most fun being holy. Hmm. We had party after party, and, and we didn't adopt a refugee. We adopted 120. <laughs> and I mean, they were just, and somebody was new or somebody retired. I mean, it was just, it. they made God look good. And that's what brought me back. Not a lecture, not a reprimand, you're not you're going to hell. And I think that's just, are you happy in your church and do you show it in? Because again, you know, the great I think the greatest definition of hospitality is the ability to make room for another. Mm. It's just a wonderful can you make room for another? And and that group did that. And and it was they really and then I just wasn't praying much and a religious sister taught me to pray like <laughs> I said, I was teaching high school high school catechism. I said, sister, teach me to pray because the last one was on prayer next week. And I wasn't praying much at all. And she knew me well. And she said, my bit is you talk way too much in the world. I bet you talk too much when you're praying, if you ever do. Yeah. She said, I want you, here's an assignment for 30 days. Everybody should do this once in a while. 30-day assignment, 10 minutes, be still, but ask this question. God, what are you want me to do with my life. Quit telling God. And she said, do you think God knows better than you? I said, well, I'm not sure because this is Southern California and God's old and there's a lot of smog down there and there's a million people and God's <laughs> probably tired. And my, But I suppose for the most part, yeah. So about three weeks of nothing through like, I'm a poster child for ADHD, you know, and <laughs> what about three weeks in the thought of the priesthood? And I, and I honestly thought, I had disqualified myself because I was, you know, not a holy boy overseas. I thought that would disqualify somebody from priest. Really? Yeah. That was your understanding of the priest? Well, sure. Because huh. it's those goody two-shoes, wouldn't know sin if they stepped in it, you know, and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> what if they stepped in it? Yeah. And, I, and, it was, and then I talked to a priest, and he said, oh, no. He said, there's just a lot of, a lot of saints that are just, you know, not the best, and but knew God. And I, I think in one sense that— Qualifies me in a way for the priesthood, having been, you yep. know, dating, engaged, and as I say, sleeping where you need couldn't have been, shouldn't have been. And I have a lot of compassion, but I also can say, you don't have to stay there. Yeah. So I, I could, for like, I could kick people's butt, and for the most part, they thank me because I know I love them where they. Are. I think my gift in the priest, our life is, I, I love people where they are, and they know, and when people know that, that you have. All sorts of room and credibility, and uh, so I don't think I gotta say, I gotta one say thing. this right. But I, go ahead. I, I just gotta say I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. You might not remember this, but one time you kicked me and kicked you. Yeah, do you remember this? I probably tapped you. Let's be careful about kick. gentle kick. There we are. <laughs> you gently, but but kicked me. I think you kicked my no, foot not, or something well, like that. Okay. And you said, uh, and I actually I don't remember what you said. And I have never felt more loved in all my life. Really? Yeah. I mean, it makes me emotional still thinking about it because I just wasn't in a great place. You know, yeah. this was early on as, as we started meeting. And 
Um, and I think you do. You have this incredible gift to challenge people because you didn't want me to stay where I was. I was kind right. of, like I said, I was kind of in a dark place. Uh, and so you, you called me out on it, right. kicked me <laughs> yep. gently, uh, but kicked nevertheless. And you said, knock it off your bonehead or something like yep. that. And, and I did, I just wept because I felt so loved. And I knew you were so capable of more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that, yeah. that's love. That's love. Yeah. I, I've been preaching for years and, and, and those kinds of incidents, I, it's kind of settled in how do I know what's right? If I do that with people and they feel condemned, I did it wrong. That's not of God for people. Or if I do those things and or preaching and people feel invited, that's Jesus. Hmm. Jesus was always inviting. At the same time, don't do this sin anymore. Get your head out of your hiney, whatever, you know. And he probably didn't say that, but you know. <laughs> probably thought about it. So yeah. two questions. Were people surprised when you became a priest? Was your family surprised, or when you when you first said, you know, hey, I I, I think I, I think God wants me to be a priest? Um, well, I'd been gone for a lot of years. I was home for Christmas and stuff, but they weren't totally surprised because I was really a good I was a good normal kid in school, and, and I wasn't I wasn't a cool jock, you know, I, you know, but but God meant a lot, and I wasn't a rebel rouser, and so. For the most part, they would have been. People that knew me in my, you know, my, uh, I don't know, but not so holy years, they'd say, I think they would have all said, we knew it was in you and probably it was a phase. And, and, and they would say, you're probably better off for it. Huh. Yeah. Okay, so here's my second question. Going back to, to talking about your gift of uh, challenging people, but really making them feel loved. You do this well with couples. And I would love for you to share a little bit about Maybe so. I know just because I know you have some stories about this, especially couples coming to you maybe for marriage preparation mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, how do you approach and challenge couples? This and I think this could apply to couples in marriage as well that are struggling um, with various things. Whatever. How do you how do you challenge them to more? Well, I'm gonna do an engaged couple first. Because okay. it's the same question. Okay. You know, I do a lot of marriage prep more in the past, and um, and I meet with them. And the first meeting, and um, well, where are you from? What's this? What's this? And in it's probably twenty minutes later, I ask them, um, "Are you living together?" They're pretty honest. Are and they I, surprised when they when you ask them that? Well, sure they are. Okay. And then I say, "Are you uh, sexually active?" They're pretty honest about it. Then I say, do you have to be? They look at me like, what do you mean? Well, if you have to be, I'm working with instinct, like you don't have a choice. But if you could choose to be, now I'm working with a human. And I'm and, and I'm trying to get it, which would be any couple with moral behavior or addictions or affairs. And do you have to be doing this? Or are you choosing it? Yes, I'm choosing. Well, then there's hope. If you know you've made a choice, but if you say he made me do it, she made me do it, that it just it doesn't work very well, you know. And then just to it, it for example, it, it's the same kind of a thing that um, in spiritual life. But people would say, oh, "Father, come to my house. There's like a ghost in my house." Or this could be a spiritual question. Well, tell me about. It. Are you scared of it? 
No, it's kind of a nuisance. Well, then we're not talking about probably evil. It could be a ghost. And ghosts are often spirits asking for prayer to, to get on the other side. And hmm. they man, said, that's a whole other podcast. We yeah, invite you back for that one. But but it's it's the it's the it's the examination sort of thing. And um, and they said, when you come and uh, throw it, cast it out. I said, well, before I do this, would be with a married couple. I do this. Father, would you help us? And and I and I would ask the couple, are you praying together? Are you going to church together? Are you uh, hanging around the good, the right friends? You know, mm-hmm. when's the last time you went to confession? And just are you just working? You know, working the program. You know, and if they say no, then I say then I'm not coming over. Because if I throw the bum out, and you leave the window open, and you wonder why the rat's in your house. Because he's coming right back in. Because you, yeah, let the door open. So do a few of these things, and it'll be the same marriage. Father, our marriage isn't this. Oh, you're praying together? You know, are, are you behaving yourself? You know, are, are you respectful in your sexual relation? Are you, are you using each other? And, you know, are, no, well then. Do that, and then let's talk. Yeah, at huh. least move toward that. Because yeah. we have a lot more control over the effects of our life than we want. We want to just blame it on so many things and it's choices. And God, we, I just, more and more, I just, I think, I tell pe- people, say, give me some advice to change, but I can tell you how to make your life radically better in one month. Hmm. Every morning or every night, depends when you're kind of more brain alert or brain dead, you know, kids and all that sort of stuff, is um, just write down five things you're grateful for. Do that every day. Five things you're grateful for. And if you really want a PhD in holy, you tell your spouse those five things. Because when they hear what gets you in love or stay in love, that's so vulnerable. I don't think, I, I, I'm not a, a researcher, but I'll bet I have, when I ask a couple of you to pray together, I'll bet 25% do. That's all. Yeah, that's that's radical. How do couples start? What are you thankful for? <laughs> you know, what are you, what are you thankful for? Because when, because when, because I tell people every morning we wake up and we have two choices. This is great for marriage. We have two choices when we wake up: Are we going to notice what we don't have, or are we going to notice what we do have? Well. Because if you're going to look for what you don't have, you will be crabby and crotchety by noon, maybe 10 o'clock. You can be a record setter. And then you're just, nobody's going to write. Or if you notice what's good, it's like, and then tell somebody, it's like, wow. And it's that simple. You know? So when you've had these conversations with couples, because I know you have, I know you've had a lot of them where mm-hmm. you've really challenged, mm-hmm. uh, whether engaged, married, right. uh, on the brink of divorce. I mean, you've, yep. you've run through the gamut. Yep. Um, <laughs> do you ever have couples that get mad at you? Or or at least really resist? Oh, I could feel it, yeah. What yeah. Are the, but but I know you've had some that have said, I'm really mad at you, but we're gonna, but we're gonna try this just to prove that it doesn't work or whatever. Well, when they say those things, I said, you know, a while ago, I don't know, 20 years ago, I've been ordained priest 35, 33 years, and I said, I figured out I have one job, and my job's 
souls. My job is touching souls and bring them to heaven because they know they've been loved on earth. And I said, now, if I'm about souls, I'm going to ask about forever. I'm going to ask about prayer. I'm about about you farting around not being a couple. And that's my job. Now, if you don't want me to ask those things, then just go find a counselor that's going to tell you whatever you want to hear and not get any better. Because I'm about souls. And, and souls are awesome, but they're wounded and we get rejected. And I think maybe I'm wrong, but I think most people use each other a lot in sex. What do you mean? Well, it's all about me. You know, guys are so different, man. I, I remember... I, I learned a lot a long time ago. Guys are crockpots and uh, guys are microwaves and women are crockpots. <laughs> you know? You got the slow heat up and the one minute and start. Button. Yeah. Yeah. And it's over, you know? And um, one woman once said, Honey, the best foreplay you could give me is do the dishes and put the kids to bed. Because <laughs> you don't know you're loved. And I think, my God, why do so many women, women have a headache? Two things, because guys are just, and the woman isn't bold, loving to communicate. This is not good for me. I remember John Paul, John Paul, in the Theology of the Body, said, the man has an obligation because of the difference in, 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 in the whole orgasm thing is to just gently wait, change, go slow, because if, if it's only your pleasure and you don't care about hers, that's probably abuse. But we don't talk about it. It's like, wow, well, that's just, then know why we in I'm totally surprised how many couples um, aren't having sex. Oh, my really? God. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Because they don't want to talk about it. Probably. Or there's hurt. Or Yeah, yeah there's hurt. There's hurt. And I think. Yeah, I could see that. I think a zillion percent are pornography. I've been reading a lot on pornography. It's a it's a, a dark hole. Yeah. Most statistics would say, you could look at all sides of it, is um, 60% of men kind of regularly look at pornography, and probably 30, women are catching up, I, God yes, bless you 30. ladies, 30% are. And kids are starting at eight or nine. Yeah. And we don't talk about it. Yeah. I... <laughs> I feel like this is the perfect example of when you say you're about souls. And one of the things that I have so appreciated about you is that you don't shy away from those intimate places yeah. that I think oftentimes, yeah, we don't want to talk about because it's uncomfortable or it feels taboo because we live in such a sexualized culture. Right. But the way that you're able to name and call a spade a spade and recognize the human, uh, the human realities at play. Right. It's it's extraordinarily refreshing, um, and I think and I think really deeply needed. So, when you're talking about, uh, I want to just I want to go back to couples and um, many of them either feeling used um, in sexual intimacy or they're just not having sex because whatever. Um, <laughs> how do you begin the healing process, maybe, um, or? Or what do you think is needed for these couples to take their marriage to the next step? I mean, I just, yeah, I think there's so many different couples that struggle with us at various seasons yeah. of their life, you know? I don't think the question is, do you love me? That doesn't start in the bedroom. 
that starts in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And that starts driving down the road. That mm-hmm. starts taking care of the kids. Because if you come home and flop and you're not part of this, if a woman feels used, what, what's anybody do when they feel used? They, they will never give more. Mm-hmm. They will never give more when we feel used. Mm-hmm. Or it's artificial and superficial. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you begin to heal the pro? How do you begin to heal? You know, if a couple is listening to this, somebody honest, wife is listening to this. Be honest. I I feel I don't feel I'm a part of this. I I I feel like I'm losing some um, intimacy with you, or we just we just talk about stuff and surface stuff. Mm. And I, you know, I I just I, I just figured out these uh, three great. I tell people do you pray together, you know, and I think this answers some of that is um, great way to pray is three questions every day, every couple of days. And number one, you always start with love. Um, just look at each other alone, you know, put the eight kids in the other room, you know, and whatever it is. <laughs> and look at each other and just say, and when I'm doing with couples or I just start with the older person just because. And so look at each other and say to your spouse or mate, thank you for this and this, and say three or four things you're thankful for. And then the other person says three or four things I'm thankful for. Mm -hmm. And then I start with the other couple that didn't start, and then I'll say, um, tell your spouse or your, tell her you're sorry for three or four things, her or him. And then he'll do it. I've never done that. That somebody's not crying. I've never done that. That somebody's not crying. Because that they, we aren't doing that. Because it's kind of risky to be vulnerable. It's risky to be vulnerable. Yeah. And then the third one I add is, would you help me get to heaven? By and Whoa. then we loved to be asked, would you help me with soul stuff? So I'm grateful for, yep. I'm sorry. Then, oh, thank you for. Oh, thank you for. Then I'm sorry for. I'm sorry for. And then would you help me get to heaven by go to church <laughs> and we pray. and. Wow. Yeah. And that's the great thing about it. That's not a that's not PhD material. That's just in the flesh. That's just human. Yeah. And we so need it. That's just human. Yeah. Wow. Um. Father, as you as you think about marriage and couples and um, the little ways that you think they can uh, foster this greater vulnerability with one another, um, a story that you've shared comes to my mind about your mom uh, picking up clothes. Oh yeah. Will you share that? Yeah, it was. I, mom was just. Mom was very devotional, glowing in the dark, holy, and dad was just <laughs> a farmer guy, just the best. But he was a German, but he was so wise. And one of those you learn more about his wisdom after. Or when you, yeah. My dad got smarter when I went to college. Yeah. Figure that one out. Yeah. I said, Mama, you know, because dad was a slob, just he, he just, he would throw his jacket here. I said, Did that make you nuts? She said, Yeah, for about a year. Then she smiled. I said, what do you mean? What's the rest of the story? She said, I decided I have an option. I have two options. I could really be mad 
or just stuff it and go crazy, and then just get minimal with him and punish him with silent, you know? She said, but I chose by the grace of God. Every time I picked something up that he put on the floor, I prayed for that man. And she said, you know how many thousands of times <laughs> I prayed for that man? And I thought, that's holy on the ground. That's holy in the home. And that's the holy that makes the bedroom different. Matt Leadham is going to pray me into heaven after hearing this <laughs> there episode. You go. Yep. <laughs> I'm the one that leaves messes yeah. all over. Yeah. I love that though because there is there really is there's this choice of I can get mad, I can get I can be resentful, I can be angry, or I can actually choose to love here. I can actually lay down myself and uh, and exactly. recognize all of the things that my spouse is doing for me, right. working out on the farm, providing for our family, whatever yeah, the example might be. Yep. Um, how old are you? 69, just turned 69. Are you tired? Usually not. I just... How... I got it. How is this possible? Because... And, and, and I know you've shared a little grace with me about this, but I look at the amount of things that you do. I mean, you travel all over the place. You've got three parishes. Uh, you come to Sioux Falls all the time to hang out with people like me. Uh, that's that's a lot. You've got this full load and you're caring for souls and you're, you're caring for the world. Um, and I know you take a nap every day. Yep. But. I wake up early and I, I can lay down in two minutes, be sleeping and wake up 10, 15 minutes later and everybody's nicer. What you have a, a better chance of having a good day if I get, I got it from my dad, that power nap. <laughs> but how are you not tired? couple of things. Um, early in my life, I just learned about an incident in, in, in grade school. I told a little girl she loved me and she told me she loved me back. I never thought much about that till later that night, my brothers were teasing me at home. Like, you know, I was a third boy. Yeah. And, and and I said, I don't care what, you can't hurt me. Because she said she loves me. So the love of a little girl gave me power beyond human ability. So when I know I'm loved, then I, I don't know how it happened, why it happened, but I was sitting in my uh, um, room at St. Michael. I was a pastor there. And something came over me, and I just said, I, I know I'm loved forever. I, I can act like I'm not loved, but I'm still loved. I just know I'm loved. You could beat me up, and, I, and that's, that is said. That, so since then, everything's grace, gift. And I don't go to prayer. And that was well into your priesthood. Yeah. And I don't go to prayer to be filled up because I'm filled up as I give. And the more I give, the more I get. You know, and it's that joy. I just, I just been blessed with. But again, I, I, I tell people, most of us get smart. Most of us get to smart by driving through stupid <laughs> or spending time with stupid. Yeah. So our stupid can be a gift to say, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to marry like this. And you know, so anyway, this, I'm down at Elk Point Jefferson New. I love it and the great parishes. You know, three, five hundred families between them. So it's a bit, but they're only eight miles apart. We got the shortest end up. I was driving home one night from something, whatever, wherever I went down the parish. And it was about 8 o'clock, and I thought, I wasn't thinking about this, but it just thought, I am not one bit tired. I'm a little weary, like it's a lot, but now I'm not. I'm just as alert now as when I woke up at 4.30. Only, only God, and I think um, by grace we are where God wants us to be and gifts us to be, and know your vocation and yeah that's 
you don't think much about it when you're in it, but other people look at me like, really, you're kidding me. No, mm -hmm. no I'm not, I don't have to lie about that. You can't, you can't make that up. Mm -hmm. Now, once all people say, you look pretty tired. And I, you know, I said, well, thank you. I said, I, I might be. Well, there's a lot. Going. Yeah, I just hold this whole pandemic thing makes you crazy. But to be, to be, and and I do I go a lot. I remember somebody once told me of the the difference of a um, bigger parish in town and little parishes. And I and I've been in say, I've been in big parishes. You know, and 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 um, and, and I uh, and they said in a big city in a big parish you'll always be busy. In smaller parishes, you could choose to be busy. And I could choose not to be busy. And there's a whole big difference in that. I could choose, and I could, and I, being busy is visiting people and visiting people is doing those kinds of things. And so it's being just, present. Huh? Being present. Yeah. And that's, now, as an extrovert, that's not, that doesn't suck me dry. Other yeah. people would, but yeah, and that's a gift to be able to say, now, I'm, I'm really good about my day off, and I'm good about home for a while every day, and, and I'm, not, I'm not nearly the— And I would say the biggest gift of the 60s is I learned to say no. What a huge growth in Joe Vogel's life. Really? Yeah. Because somebody once said your yes means nothing until you can say no. Now, people think, well, you're really busy. What are you saying to? What are you saying no to? More than you imagine— and that's why you can, you know. People watch me and say that's too much. Should see the things I've said no to. <laughs> well, but I, I think I'm a pretty good judge of that, and I don't have to mm -hmm. tell people what they want to hear. And and you have a rule about not having hard conversations or or things like that when you're tired, hungry. Uh, that halt thing, yeah. Well, How do you know you're one? about crazy? Is just for that's a halt. If you're hungry, angry, angry, lonely, tired. tired. You should probably not say much to anybody because somebody's going to get hurt. Yep. And just say, you know, can we do this tomorrow? Yep. Can we call here? And so know yourself. Yeah. yeah. Know yourself and thy faults and yeah. us live. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I've got one more question for you. Mm -hmm. First of all, I, Father, thanks for just sharing your wisdom and your life and your story. And yeah, I just, I kind of sit at, sit at your feet and absorb it all because, um, yeah, your life a life well lived, beautifully yeah. lived is just a great witness to me and to, to me and my husband. It's really blessed us a lot. So I ask every guest that comes on Lead Them to Life, if there's a question that you have been pondering. And you kind of taught me this in some ways by the questions that you've asked mm -hmm. me as we meet together, you know, yeah. every month uh, for the last seven years, five years. Um, I want to know, is there a question lately that you've been pondering and the only rule is that you can't you can't have an answer to your question it's got to be something that you're really thinking about well i um i'm obsessed with news and watching the news and i think i'm obsessed with watching the news because i want to know who's ahead and who's winning and what side and um and it's just useless and i chose yesterday to watch no news at all. So we're recording day after election. Okay. This will come yeah. out. Yeah. And I chose not election. to watch any results all day. And when I went to bed, I was very peaceful. So I was praying about the other day about you know, who should win. And, and I think it should be this. And um, I, the Lord said, that's none of your business. Well, you have no idea what I have to you do to do 
for this world to get to holy. Now, you tell me what you want, fine and dandy, but you have no idea. It's, it's like a three-year-old telling a parent, you should do this. And a parent would say, you have no idea. Tell me what you want. But there's been a lot of peace since then. And, and if it has to get crazier before it gets better in our culture, in love, parents do that with the kids. You don't bail them out of jail. You don't pay their credit. You just Sometimes you just let them be there. And it's been a lot better. I'll tell God what I think should be. But he said, you have no idea what I need to be doing. And I thought, wow. Mm. Yeah. He appears that, well, then you don't care. To a point, yes, I don't. To a point. But I told God what I wanted before I said I don't care. You laid out for me a couple of months ago the difference between concern and worry. Yeah. We should have concern about the that's world. That's reasonable. That's rational. Yeah. That's that's life. But it's worry not as if to it's worry obsessive. Uh-huh. Or your people, your friends say, "What's the matter with you?" Well, everything. You're not God, and you don't have to be. And yeah, it's not ours to carry. Yep. It's not ours to carry. Yeah. Father, thanks for coming on Lead Them to Life. You're very welcome. It's a joy to have you. Well, it's been a pleasure to get up here. A great day to drive, and yeah, thank you. Well, again, as I said, it's nice that I when I trust the people on the other side of the mic, it's easy to be honest, and I just trust God. And mm-hmm. so, God, I've been blessed, and I'm happy to pass it on. Mm-hmm. Well, friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, I hope that you can take a whole bunch of the one-liners from Father Joe Vogel and write them in your journal, write them on your mirror, have them be little reminders for you, for you and your spouse, here for your friends each and every day. Share this episode with a friend. I hope it made you smile, and I hope it encouraged you to take a little bit deeper dive into your relationships with your people and with the Lord. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. Amen. Amen.